This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. On this episode, I'm in the bright lights of New York City. Big Jim's on tour to interview the new owner of the Natal Sharks, an outspoken individual who's a big wig on Wall Street. It's the wonderful, it's the powerful Marco Massotti. Give me a yeah. Big Jim is wearing his heels, marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now. And he's big and red. A shot of black cap and now he's super dead. He gets loud. I'm a big dick house. I showed him some whiskey and he shoot me like a ball. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's class to be chatting to you, Marco, especially in your home. It's not a town, it's a city of New York. I'm here with my wife on our 10 year wedding anniversary. and. Like you said, we've said it many times. We've made it. We made it ten years. A lot's happened. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. No, thank you very much. I think that's what we were looking for. So more, so, more so to her than me. It's a it's a good city to celebrate in. Yeah. To, it's one of the great great cities of the world. Hopefully, we'll see more rugby in it. Yeah. Hopefully, well, we can get onto the MLR. I wanted to chat about you personally and your relationship with rugby. Now, to quote a quote of a paper that I initially stumbled across when you came into my life via social media, into many rugby fans' lives via social media. The quote was, I was blessed with a rugby brain, but not a rugby body. That's how it started. <laughs> so let's start with that. Why rugby? I, I don't know. I just, I just love the sport. Just love the sport. It's hilarious that if people talk about the sport and how to make it more entertaining, you know, they talk about making it more fluid and less about scrums and that type of thing. There is no other sport, right? You've got eight guys on eight guys smashing into each other. That scrum is what's going to sell the sport. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. That's you know, the South African uh, in you speaking. No, Listen, no, straight uh, to I it. Get, no, but it's, it's fantastic. Look, I, I love backline play. My, my favorite player growing up was Nas Puerta. You know, I love, I love flyhops. So the quarterback, you can call them the quarterback of, of rugby. I just love it. I, my father took me to my first rugby game in 1976 when uh, South Africa played the All Blacks and I was just hooked. Um, that rivalry just hooked me. And if you live outside of your country, like a lot of South Africans have done over the years, I came to the United States about 30 years ago. One of the ways you remain connected with your heritage, connected with South Africa, is through rugby. So I saw it for the first time. I wasn't a very good rugby player. 
Uh, I said I said that quote because I, I know I don't have the body for it sitting next to you, uh, but I, I just I just really love the game. I love the intricacies of the game. I love some of the thinking behind the game. I love American football. Let me let me say that it's like watching toy soldiers. Every person has a role. Every player sophisticated. And you know I've started to think about rugby in a, in a very similar way. Can the game evolve? Uh, you know to the next level of its professional growth in a way that's very exciting. Yeah, because. I think your introduction to rugby was the very best introduction. I say that if you're going to a Springbok All Blacks match, it doesn't get any bigger. The hacker, the number one sport in South Africa, the South African rugby story, Francois Pina, a good friend of yours. South Africa winning. Exactly. That, that game. Would it have been different? <laughs> would, do you think it, it, South Africa, well, I, I, I think as a country it would have been different if they hadn't won that game. Am I right in saying that? How Probably. Big, how big yeah. was it? It was massive. Mm. It was absolutely magical. I have a little bit of a connection uh, to that. Uh, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring that to Nelson Mandela in New York because when Nelson Mandela starts the Sharks journey, when Nelson Mandela was released uh, from prison in 1990, he did this massive trip to New York. They had a ticket tape parade, like when the New York Yankees um, win. Uh, it, it was amazing. I had just come. Uh, to the United States and, and then to New York and saw that Mandela had come to my law firm now called Paul Weiss to meet with someone who became my mentor, Ted Sorensen. Mandela had asked Ted to set up something called the South Africa Free Elections Fund, which raised uh, American money to help finance voter education in South Africa for the first democratic election. The first head of the South Africa Free Election Fund, a guy by the name of Vincent May, a very prominent expat South African businessman who's one of the co-owners now of the Sharks and who became uh, Sia Kulisi's mentor and who assisted with uh, scholarships for Sia to attend school and now is his mentor in life and friend and everything else. So those little, you know, it, it goes from Mandela to Francois to Sia, you know, and the thread are these, you know, these wonderful people. Yeah, absolutely. Like How does someone go from Wall Street and you look at your backstory and it's probably becoming more prevalent now in the media because you've bought a majority share of Natal Sharks in Durban? Yes. How does one the, the, go? These Sharks. These what? The Sharks. The Sharks. That's it. That's it. <laughs> may, maybe, may, may, maybe it could be. I'm, I'm saying that for a reason, and we'll, we'll get to it a little later. It's the, it's the Sharks. Maybe the Durban Sharks mm. one day. I think most sports teams, right, are identified with the town. You know, there's the New York Giants, the... You know, I think part of your responsibility, right, uh, you know, a sports team is connected to a place, you know, with a fan base and I think there's great benefit branding it with the place that it's from. Yeah, absolutely. But, but right now it's the Sharks. Yeah. Well, I know why it's called the Sharks. I was in Durban and I was swimming around July and I, me and my mate Deeks, Brett Deacon, who's the forwards coach at Leicester, he's not a great swimmer. I mean, I was a pretty decent swimmer and we're swimming out to the Shark Nets in Durban and there was a guy lying on his back like Castaway, like Tom Hanks. Don't you just, <laughs> don't you just feel free, lads? And I didn't realise it. The shark nets were probably only 400 metres away. And my mate Deeks is struggling. The water's all frothy or whatever. And it shows you at 19 years old, you, like, you don't give a shit. And he was like, what are you doing out here? I said, oh, we're looking to swim to the shark nets. We said before we go home, we want to swim to the shark nets and back. He said, no, no, no. There's no shark nets out today, boys. He said, it's the sardine run. Oh, my God. They were infested with sharks. Infested with sharks. And we are, yeah. I swear to God, we're swimming, we're out where the shark net should be. And my mate Deeks can't swim. And me and the castaway, let's call him Tom, brought him back to shore and like he nearly died, nearly drowned. 
And then as we got back to shore, he got stung by a jellyfish. So we're weighing on his leg. So look, it's a, it's it's an appropriate name. Mm. Um, you know, great name, great brand, you know, great city. Yeah. I mentioned the Wall Street thing. It's an easy thing to go down when you watch the movies, especially recently. I mean, it just looks like a savage environment to be in. Like, it just looks crazy. So when you take on a rugby team, oh, it's, nah, this is all right. The drama, like, no problem. <laughs> is there a part of that, do you think, with your backstory and being in New York and how fast a life that probably has been in a law firm as, as well, when you look at the landscape of rugby, and people listen to this are thinking, oh, rugby's in a hell of a state at the minute, but you've just invested in a team in probably the worst state rugby's been in from a financial standpoint let's let's start with sports generally right I, I come from a place and i've grown i've grown up on wall street with with a number of clients mostly in the private equity area that become enormously successful they've become the new masters of the universe of the city and country they started to buy sports teams uh, one of my clients purchased the milwaukee bucks they won the nba championship last year governor of mark lagerie i could have co-invested in that deal I think they bought the Bucks, um, our law firm did the deal, they bought the Bucks for something like $450 million, and now it has a value exceeding $2 billion. Hmm. Okay, now that's its value, right? You, you, know, you realize the value of a sports team, generally not on an ongoing basis, but when it's sold to someone else, right? And then I have a very close friend who bought the Florida Panthers ice hockey, massive business, massive business you know, in this country and around the world. Starts with there and seeing what, the potential is seeing what you know some of my clients are doing, and then rugby's struggling. But sometimes when there's you know I'll call it a distress situation, you know rugby's a massive business with a massive following. It's you know it's got something like 500 million fans in 88 countries, and it's one of the fastest growing sports in the United States. Yes, it's you you could look at it in another way, you know, which is it's a great time to get in. The snow globe has been shaken, and it's. It's going to take a little time to settle. If you're investing in a South African rugby team that's about to play in Europe, you're effectively investing in a different type of, of labor market with a massive talent pool, and that comes with European exposure. Well, I mean, it seemed like a great deal to me. Did you know that that was going to happen when you invested? At, at the time we were doing it, yeah. yeah okay. at the, what, what happened was I had a, a good friend, you know, former client who was an independent board member at the Stormers, and so... I looked at the storm as, as an opportunity. And I, you know, I wanted to bring these people from other sporting codes to the sport of rugby. And also there's some very prominent, I mean, it's astonishing how well some South Africans have done in the United States. So I wanted to bring some of them back to South Africa. Everyone wants to help. I had people reaching out to me, help in some way. And so I formed a, a little consortium, effectively. We thought it would be the Stormers, but I had to go down there and see how hard that was and ended up at my team growing up called the Sharks. That's amazing when you think Honestly. about how things can happen like that. You were going to buy the Stormers. Stormers were on their knees. They were going to fold, weren't they? Now they've won the, U <laughs> they've won the URC. <laughs> I know, I know. I you know? know? The I Sharks know. will get there, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You had to bring that up. Yeah, I, you well, had to, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Sharks fan. <laughs> okay, good. I am. Good. I'm also a John Dobson fan. I like yeah. him. No, he's wonderful. You know, it's a it's a wonderful franchise. The fans are wonderful. They also tap into just an enormous talent pool based on where they were, and I have a little bit of insight into where they were. And it's amazing. I mean, that competition. Uh, I don't know if you watched that final. Yeah. Or, yeah, or yeah. saw how that competition ended, how close it was, and you know, the Bulls going to Leinster. Um, the Bulls luckily beating us with a drop kick. <laughs> Uh, in Pretoria, it ended up very exciting, and and I thought uh, a really really wonderful first season for the league. Yeah, it was class. I commentate on the URC for Premier Sports, 
and hand on heart, did not see the balls coming anywhere near it. Like I thought, physical, yeah. stereotypical South yeah. African team. This is at the start, right? Yeah. I thought the Sharks with the players that you had, Mapimpi, obviously Sia Khaleesi, them being the two kind of stars in South African rugby of late. And then obviously the Stormers, because it's the Stormers and many people hadn't probably heard about the financial issues. They probably wondered why they'd lost players yeah. like Khaleesi and other players to Europe, Eben. And Peter Staff, yeah, yeah, he went to Japan, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're looking at it, you're thinking, well, Stormers, maybe. And then as the season progresses, and it was a tough start for the teams coming in during COVID, and then towards the end of the season, the running that we had, people are thinking, actually, one of these teams on their given day could beat Leinster in a final. Oh no, the balls go, and yeah, you talk about awakening a tournament that needed waking up. Yeah, you know we've had the Pro Ten or whatever it was, the Pro Twelve, yeah. the Pro Fourteen, and then the whole talk of the South African franchises coming in last season, and then there was this Rainbow Cup stuff yeah. that never took off, and we're thinking, what's going on with this? Yeah, URC. You know, there's music, there's Jay Z, there's Rock Nations. We're like, look, this has got the recipe to be something shit. Yeah, it really has, unless it's real. It's the real deal from the South African teams coming in. And my goodness me, you look at yeah. the back end of that, what the Bulls did to Leinster. And two South African teams. I mean, I know, the way people are talking about it, you know, even on the ground, the players. That, I mean, it's you know, you got another big league in Europe, right? This is really where the game's coming. Premiership, top fourteen, another URC. A lot of the big players from around the world playing in them. You know, I think it bodes well. You got a big player coming back because your mum wanted him big, in the team. Big, uh, big is right. Yeah, Ebenezerbeth. Your mum, did your mum genuinely? What I mean, any mum would want. Or um, daughter, um, son, um, husband, um, wife, mom, and and extended female members of my family. Uh, he's, a, he's a real, he's a real man. Um, you know, he's uh, he, he's he's wonderful. Uh, he's just, I mean, he's one of the greatest rugby players on the planet. Absolutely. You know, he also brings a work ethic and everything else. He's got a very good relationship with, with some of our players like Sia. They're close personal friends. It's going to be fun seeing him in a Sharks jersey. So you investing into. The Sharks. We're not going to call them Natasha. What we're we going to call them? So we can change the name here. There's, there's only one Sharks rugby team on the planet. Well, you could... Well, I don't want to say. That... In the URC. You could I, say, I'm with you, if you If you If you're building a global brand, how can how can there be more than one? Well, Simon Orange uh, is hating on me at the minute. The sale Sharks owner. Sale owner. He's hating on me at the minute. So, at the minute... Sale, the sale owner. Was it you? Did you tweet about that or not? Did I see someone else saying, where are the Sharks in sale in Manchester? Was it you tweeting about it? It was. It was. It was just trying to have fun. The rugby also needs a little bit more controversy. Oh, I love uh, it. Here we go, okay. Marco. You know, you've, got to, you've got to stir the pot every now and then. It's a great point, though. I think it is. I think it is. We, what are we going to do? We're going to be in the Heineken Cup and playing against, you know, it's in our mutual interest to have different brands. And if you talk to, you know, rugby players around the world, we are the Sharks. You need to kick the door down if you play in Manchester and say, show me your Sharks. Where are they? Mm -hmm. Then they can't. They no, can't. I looked it up. I think there's. I think they got a river there. It was like I'm. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the fish in, in the river. But I suggested something and just trying to be helpful. Something like a big, frightening animal, like a tuna. Yeah, um, yeah, that's like, not doing it for me. That's not doing it for you. No. Okay. Well, we can think of something else. But the thing is, now we're pissing on the flames of Leicester Tigers. Just won the prem. There's, no, there's no Tigers in, in Leicester. Yeah, there, uh, yeah, there should be. You invest into a club. So what are the expectations as an owner? Is it winning stuff or is it return on investment? Is it both? And I think 
the big question and something that's bugging me at the minute, is there a return on investment? Mm-hmm. I know you love it. You can hear that in your voice from a business standpoint, which I think, and again, I hope you're going to put me wrong, you invest in it because you love it more than an investment. So therefore, you want to bring Eben back to South Africa. Cheslin Colby, I'm sure there's conversations ongoing with him to come back to South Africa at some point. Or from a business standpoint, you're like, no, I need to get to a certain point. There needs to be a return in a few years. It doesn't have to be one thing. What what I learned is all of the things I was interested in, uh, the stepping stones you know, in, in my life, came together around rugby. I love the sport. I want to make a contribution in South Africa. I love mentoring, community development, media and entertainment. And so, yes, it does, at the end of the day, provide lots of different types of interests. But I am investing my own money. I, I am the biggest investor in the Sharks. I have asked clients and some real investors to, to join me in this endeavor. I think we got it at a, at a good price. I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth. I think I also made a good business decision. You know, it wasn't, it's not purely romance and it's not reckless. I think the platform of, of rugby, the platform of Sharks, where they are playing in Europe, uh, the residual businesses around uh, sport and rugby and media, I think I'll make a return on my investment and hopefully ride the wave of what I think is coming next for rugby. I think it is important to speak to players because they actually have a lot of ideas. We call it Players First at the Sharks, and we have a mentoring program where each player gets a foreign mentee and a local mentee, and they just do a Zoom like once a month and just talk about life and that type of thing. But I've learned a lot, you know. I've learned a lot from the players. I've learned a lot from Sia Kulisi. I think, you know, he has some great ideas. I think there's a lot of opportunity for growing the sport. And when I speak to Sia, and one of the reasons why I came to the Sharks, he loves Liverpool soccer team. And, you know, I think about it when I was in Buenos Aires and I watched Boca Juniors and River Plate play or one of the Brazilian clubs. And the talented kids now go play in Europe. Okay, we, the Sharks or the Stormers, they, they can be or River Plate, just effectively a feeder. Yes, great locally supported franchises, a feeder of talent into a broader European market and then support the national team. Or can we create a Liverpool in South Africa now that we are playing in a European competition? And that's the goal. And that's what I was speaking to see about. And that's going to take making some real investments, big players, big branding opportunities, and just getting lots of business people involved um, to do it. You said just in that comment, around something's coming over the hill in rugby. I love the analogy you use around the snow globe and the fact that it's floating around at the minute, we're waiting for it to settle. Now, for whatever reason, whether or not that's COVID, whether or not the salary cap, whether or not owners pumping in money, with no return, the CVC money disappearing uh, to keep the clubs afloat, grants that were given that now to be, need to be paid back because of the COVID situation, what do you see coming around the corner then? I think all of those things. I think COVID was, I probably wouldn't be at the Sharks if it wasn't for COVID. The need for a capital infusion by rugby clubs around the world drove, you know, some some new owners and, and different people to step in. I think if you speak to people, at least when I travel the Sharks and, you know, visit some of the Irish clubs, and I mean, everyone is, was effectively saying something similar, like we need to change the game. We need to get more business people involved. We need to bring more money to the table. Uh, we need to look at 
at issues like a global calendar and different competitions. We need to grow it in places like the United States. The World Cup is coming in 2031, the Men's World Cup. So I think the combination of COVID and maybe it's frustration at, at some of the clubs. I mean, everyone sees what's going on in other sporting codes. I mean, rugby's a massive sport and no one's making money. How can that be? The players are not making enough money. The owners are not making enough money. How can that be? It's the same size as baseball with 500 million fans. It's a top 10 viewed participated in game around the world in massive market. It's massive in the United States. There's like something like 2,500 uh, clubs, as many participants and supporters. And if it's just, you know, you get enough business people around the table making business decisions in the interest of the sport, taking some risks. But it, post-COVID, it feels like the time is now because everyone seems to be saying the same thing, getting on the same page. Old-fashioned, do you think that that's a saying? Well, I can, I can say it is. I, I think it is. I think that the, the upper echelons of the top table are so old-fashioned, and I say that not to sound derogatory or profiling people, but because it isn't moving. It hasn't moved for so many years. Change is hard. So you have to bring new people around the table because all the old habits exist. It is old and stodgy. I mean, I, I was looking at some images from some of the older games when a guy would, you know, I'm going to use American terms, a touchdown without any expression, run back to the halfway line and wait for the restart. No dancing, no singing, no... Shushing the crowd. <laughs> Shushing the... You know, it's... So I'm, I'm saying it's. it has so many old and traditional values. And that's okay. Those are great. Doesn't mean you can't build on from that and create a product that's fun and engaging for a new demographic, which are mostly young people looking for alternative sports around the world. I, I love hearing your energy about it. obviously you're going to have that because you've just invested in a club which is amazing what does it need then i know we're talking about growth i believe there's huge growth but change is needed if we had a blank piece of paper if it was just a simple process which it's not there's so many other things like how do we get it on to that next level Look, I think if we had a blank sheet of paper, firstly, the, the game's now in Europe. Let's just g give it up. As wonderful as the Crusaders are, one of the great rugby teams in the world, as wonderful as Super Rugby is, it's so far away in such a small market. The game's in Europe. A lot of the top players are going to be playing here. Uh, let's build a, a global calendar. Let's get data and analytics. You know, let's get as much technology and buzz involved in the business. There's just so much out there. I mean, I didn't realize until investing in the Sharks, and I'm learning every day. There's so, there's so much you can do, you know, with technology. So that's second. Third, we've got to invest in the clubs. Some have salary caps, some don't. Each country structured a different way. You know, I, I sometimes, it forces you to sometimes wonder, does rugby need to be super leagued? You know, soccer was trying to do. You, you call it football. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you could make a decent argument for that, that, that being in the best interest because you have strong clubs can really help the growth and development of the game. Right now, you know, the focus is on really on the international game. And so more communication, more uh, collaboration. There are lots of private owners of clubs uh, where if everyone just gets around the table and figures this out, I bet you we could come up with something common sense. Rock Nation is an example of the type of people you can get involved in the game. Look, that's a little bit of thinking outside of the box. I, I think a, a good idea, trying to bring the American way of marketing, branding, thinking about the sport, trying to make it cooler for a different uh, demographic. And I think we have to try and support and grow the game in the United States. You know, there's enough of the seed that's been planted in North America generally, United States and Canada. In, in the lead up to the Rugby World Cup in 2031, you could really trigger the continued growth of the sport and, and women's rugby, which is growing at a clip and is, is pretty massive in the United States. When I came to the United States, I couldn't find a soccer game on TV here. 
That was in the early 90s. Then the World Cup came. You know, Major League Soccer grew steadily. And now people paint their faces in Seattle in support of their team. So I'm desperate to nod on a lot of these <laughs> things. And you, I knew you were going to say it. Salary cap. Now, this is the big, big talking point across all media, what we speak about on the podcast. So as an owner, this comes down to the appetite of success. You'll be able to answer this now twofold because how do you measure success, both from a business point of view and a success point of view? The Premiership now has a salary cap. The English Premiership has a salary mm -hmm. cap. So therefore, the squads are smaller, yet the demand's higher, and they're expected... It's the same in South Africa, yeah. Okay, so there's a salary cap in South Africa, yes. in the URC. In South Africa, not for the people we're competing against. South African franchises are subject to a salary cap imposed by the South African Rugby Union. And what is that? Can you share? It's 65 million rand. How much is 65 million rand in pounds? 3.3 million, according to Siri. Marco, if you're right, on the day we're recording in New York, 3.3 million, right, pounds. Mm -hmm. Do you know what Leinster's salary cap is? So they don't have so, a salary cap. So we, that's, what I'm, that, that's my point, that the South African teams have a salary cap, but the other members of the URC do not. Well, do you not think that that is crazy in itself because if you want to try and get i don't know what you pay players i'm not expecting you, you, you to tell you, us you're not they're going to say what they're going to say two south african teams made the final i think the salary cap issue is a complicated one the sports league that mints money is the national football league i mean it's just astonishing and i see it a little bit up close everything's coordinated by the league everyone benefits they mint money and they have salary caps but they are reasonable ones and everyone has the same one. You know, that's my point. That is the Everybody. point, Marco. That, that's the exact point. Because if you're a club owner, right, and if that figure is right of three, let's, just, let's round it up to four. And you're expected to then come to Europe where the lads are buggered and you're expected to compete with 14, 15 million pounds, euros of the top 14 and a Leinster, which obviously the Bulls did with their salary cap, who haven't got a salary cap, that's not fair, is it? So that's not oh. that's not play on. Exactly. How come yeah. we're always agreeing with each other? Well, I, I, you know, I, I've got a club owner here <laughs> who sees the growth of the game and in a way in which I think it needs to move forward, but it needs money to move forward. So it's easy speaking to you about that because you've invested and you understand and have a desire to invest in the game. Whereas a lot of other people are like, no, we need to batten down the hatches. We can't invest yeah. anymore. There needs to be a change. There needs to be a reset. You obviously have to be responsible. But there's a little bit of small thinking floating around rugby. And it requires thinking big. You have to invest in it to get a return. Let me say it again. You can't go back to the same playbook. If you button down the hatches, then we all lose. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. 
That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. If you ask someone sitting here, you know, what are they reading when it comes to rugby? Someone sitting in the UK, what are they reading comes to rugby? Someone sitting in South Africa. We, we, we're all looking at different things. We're all in these disjointed. In soccer, there's something called one football. I don't know if you know what one football is. And it's actually owned by some of the, you know, some of the clubs. It's a platform where you get yes. everything. It's like a pass. So like UFC pass, NFL pass, uh, NBA yeah. pass. That, uh, I'm going to cut you off because I'm passionate about it. Then you can go into it. That, for me, is one of the biggest things that needs to happen in rugby. Sure. Yeah. A, a one-stop for all, wherever you live, and you get to consume all the content, all the podcasts, all the news, editorial if you still read a newspaper, but then yes. it all points back to the game at the weekend. So everything we do, I say we in the media, points to the game at the weekend to so, watch it. Look, all these things have to happen all together, but that's the way you're going to grow the game. And you, and if you combine it with, I hate to say it because of the old-fashioned people, but you combine it with gaming. I mean, that's the way my son, you know, who's 23 years old, loves sports. It's through gaming, a little bit of betting, fantasy. You know, we've got to get with what's going on with live sports generally. YouTube. As well, and that's the reason, Marco, why I started this journey with Rugby Pass and the podcast because I saw the opportunity in other sports. NFL. I mean, I watched Hard Knocks when I was playing at Leicester when I was a kid on my old Arcos. Yeah, right. That's why people. I mean, how great is that? I've never watched. I don't think I've ever watched an NFL game from start to finish. Yeah, but I love the NFL. Yeah, like NBA as well. From what I see on social media. The yeah. clips coming up, the slam dunks, the athletes, the individual. It's I would all, say I'm an, I'm an NBA fan. I don't think I've ever watched a game from start to finish. It's all about content and people. Like my daughter's never watched a rugby game. I took her to meet a few of the Sharks players. She follows them on social media, wants to know how they're doing, what's going on with them, wants to see the game. How did this person do? How did the, you know, she made a personal connection, which fans can do, right? Fans can do if you give them the content. And now she's hooked. I was on that journey with Rugby Pass. I was in South Africa and I spent some time where Sia grew up in Port Elizabeth. I went to Kalisha in Cape Town. But I was amazed being in South Africa and everyone talks about Sia Khaleesi in the media in the UK. When I was on the ground, even in and Sia's going to hate me for saying it, I was like, oh, who's your favourite player? Thinking, we need you to say Sia because I'm chatting to yeah. Sia. When I get to Cape Town at the Sevens, Cheson Colby, Cheson Colby. And I think I know the reason why they're saying Cheson Colby because 
they're probably not watching rugby matches. They are watching clips. They are watching YouTube's greatest tries. They're watching sidesteps. They're watching speed. They're watching athleticism. See, not that you don't have any of these things. Yeah. You talk about the growth of the game through content and through trying to make it exciting. Rugby can be quite a boring sport unless you're a purist like yourself who loves a scrum. I love a scrum. I love a maul. I enjoy the kicking game, the strategy. But in order to grow the game, you need the Chesing Colbys and you need to be able to showcase that. I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. But I'm... I want to argue the point about the scrum. The people are jazzing it up with the velocity of the hit. And I just think, you know, maybe a few rule change tweaks, eight on eight massive people smashing into each other can be something that's fun. But I I totally agree with you. With a content hat on and a data hat on. Yes. I think how you improve things that it's interesting you mentioned about your daughter and people who are not fans of rugby or haven't been a fan of rugby and then they would meet an Ebenezer Beth, probably the biggest human they're ever going to see in their lives. Yeah. Or they watch a Cheslin Colby live or see a clip. Yeah. And it is such a unique sport. You mentioned the scrum there. Like I think similar to what they do in American sports, I love American sports. Never watch them start to finish, but I love the content that lives around them. You mentioned the data. If you had a data or stats-driven activation, so for example, here you go. Scrum happens. It's a one-minute process, one-and-a-half-minute, two-minute process. If you've got all the players' heart rates up on the screen, how many tackles they've made, what they've gone through to that point to get to the scrum, what is their heart rate? What capacity are they competing at in that very moment? I think that's how you engage new audiences. A kicker takes a kick at goal. I know it's not a scrum. There'll be a penalty at the scrum, probably. Kicker, <laughs> kicker takes yeah, a kick, no, his awesome. heart rate. How far has he ran? Music to my ears. The demographic that we're appealing to also don't have the attention span, so you have to cater to it. And by the way, that little bit of time while they're setting up for the scrum, you can use it for some other piece of entertainment. We're putting on a show. And you could bet so. what his heart rate is. <laughs> How scared yeah, is he? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's an important part of sports now. Let's not, let's not deny it. In rugby, though, there's not an appetite for betting. Well, you have to, you'd have to create it. You know, it's the same with fantasy. Football's got so many breaks and so many different measurements that you could do. You'd have to try and create it. Mm. I, I think there's an appetite for the betting thing. I'm just yet to be convinced. And I think the reason is, and there'll be a shift at some point, is the demographic of people that watch a rugby game. You know, I was at the football. I went to watch Arsenal, Man United with my lad. Well, he wanted to see Ronaldo. He was an Arsenal fan. He's now a Man United fan because of Ronaldo. And you see the way that people, even in the ground, are consuming the match through their phone, TikTok, selfies, betting, live in the stadium on the match that they're watching. Yeah, that's a joined-up approach. Yeah, and I just think in rugby, it's there's an old-school element which I like. We're losing slightly, but I think the growth of the game potentially needs to embody all these things that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll ask you outright: Do you think this salary cap should be? lifted across the board? Yes, for sure. If we are going to create the Liverpools as opposed to the Boca Juniors in South Africa, and now we're playing in Europe, we have to be able to compete on an equal footing with those clubs. We've got a lot of talent, so, you know. Basically, I affected Leicester winning the premiership because my mate who coaches there, he's like, what do you think? I says, mate, you need to get over the game line. And he says, what do you mean by that? I said, mate, sign some South Africans. Next thing. Hannah Liedenberg turns up, Jasper Visa, just to name two. Yeah. You, my point being, jokes aside, I think South Africa now, ahead of the likes of Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, obviously New Zealand, but they're in a micro life yeah. down there. A lot yeah. of them stay there or go to Japan. 
if I owned a team, I would sign the majority of South African, robust, humble. I spoke to Alex Anderson at sale. Yeah. You're not the Sharks <laughs> at sale. <laughs> he said the same thing. He said they're so easy to manage, whether yeah. that be the way that they see the world, religion, family, work ethic, and they're robust. They're just built differently. Yeah. Look, we, we are now tapping into, at the Sharks, a lot of players coming in from the Eastern Cape. Watch what happens in five years, 10 years' time. Kids are running around more so than ever in all parts of South Africa, all communities in South Africa. They have the role models, the Cheslins, the Sears. Not only is it that humbleness and work ethic, but you made the comment about South African loving forward play. I was either in Ireland or Scotland when uh, the Springboks were playing New Zealand. And I think it was Lucanio M passed the ball behind his back to Spoon Corsi. It was right at the beginning of the game, and we scored against New Zealand. The, the pizzazz, the flair, the entertainment coming out Oh, the South African rugby player is, and I've been watching the game for a long time there, is, is different now because we're bringing together all parts of South Africa and what everyone has to bring into the game. Rassi, love to chat about him. <laughs> and I know what you're going to say, not by your tweet, and we can talk about that, but more around his character, his ability to engage a nation, I'd say. I think a lot of people would agree with us in terms of don't know him personally, Seems like a very engaging bloke. You see the clips on social media, not that that's often a reflection necessarily of how they truly are, but I think we get a gauge on the love that the players have for him and the build-up to the final game where he spoke about the players and where they came from and Chasing the Sun was the name of the documentary that came out. Just watching that alone and his engagement in his team and his players was enough for me to be like, this guy gets it, he's real. But your relationship with Rassi, is there a relationship because you came out and stuck up for him when World Rugby <laughs> there, wanted to take there, him over the coals? There isn't a relationship, and, and I love the guy. And I love him because I think rugby needs the Rassis, you know, the, the people who think out of the box. And, and that's what he is. I mean, and, and I can see at the Sharks, the Sharks players, the way they talk about them. Look, it, it can be a problem, right? It's going to be hard to ever match up to a Rassi, you know, in South African coaching circles. But he's an out-of-the-box thinker, you know. And I remember, I think he was putting lights on the top of the free sta- stadium, sending out signals, you know, to the players. It's that, you know, and experimenting along the way and becoming the person he is now. He clearly has a massive following you know, among the players, he clearly has an incredible uh, rugby brain. And, you know, I can't, I can't help but, but love the guy. Anyone else that impresses you in the game that you've seen? It could be from an administrative or a CEO or a club that you would say they're leading the charge. Not on all fronts, no team's ever going to do that. But is there anyone that you kind of base your journey or interest or just anyone that impresses you where you're like, you know what, they I, get it. A lot of people do impress me around the game. I thought I would go into it trying to be a mentor to some of these young men, but it's amazing how much you get back. I mean, it's it's the traditional relationship. Mentors get out of mentoring as much as, as the mentees get. So, you know, a, a lot of the players, a lot of the South African players are, are really wonderful. But I am, through my friendship uh, with Dominic Sylvester, who's the now controlling shareholder at Saracens, learning a lot from him, from Francois from that organization about how to 
You talked about success, how to create a sustainable culture and winning and bring people along the way. I mean, I went with Dominic to see Saracens play recently. It was one of the first times I'd been to Stonex. And I mean, it just was truly wonderful. You know, we went in the change room afterwards, got to meet some of the players. And so we've had our CEO come up and spend some time there. Our new coach, um, or rather director of rugby, Neil Powell, just spent uh, a week there just uh, learning, uh, listening to the way they did it. But it's enormously impressive organization. Look, we all have to grow. And I think we can also give some of the things that we've been speaking about to Saracens. So there's an interest in, in collaborating more and, and maybe even collaborating, trying to do something in the United States, which was one of my original ideas. If you're asking me, you know, what I find impressive in rugby, it's, it's, it's learning from, you know, the Saracens experience. Oh, God, you're going to upset a few people. Yeah, I was at Saracens for three years. So I don't want to just sit here and nod and agree, but I'm going to sit Hear and nod and agree. Because one thing, and whether or not this is genuine or not, and then you... And by the way, I don't mind upsetting people. Oh, that's fine. No, that's absolutely fine. But when I was there, they spoke about measuring success. And maybe this will come to giving us an answer how you as an owner measure success, be it wanting to make a return, but also on the field with a very, very limited salary cap. Look, I'm hopeful we're going to lift that cap. I think everyone's going to be aligned on, on doing that. So, you know, hopefully we'll be more competitive and not make it about that, but... What about the clubs that will die when that happens? And maybe this is part of the reset that people are speaking about, unfortunately. Like Worcester in the Premiership have struggled to pay players. Newcastle aren't investing. These are teams at the bottom of the league in and around there. Simon Orange, who owns Sale, doesn't want to. Like we had a Twitter debate. We went back and forth. It was a public debate around him not wanting to just open up his checkbook. Does it come on to... In, in, Didn't he do so for a whole lot of South Africans? I'm not going to comment. It's. I did wonder how Faf de Klerk and Lou Diega, Manu Tuolangi turned up, but maybe he doesn't want to anymore. But then does that open the door from your point of view, like football, and they've got Qatar money and Saudi money, does that open the door for these people to come in and buy a rugby club? Yeah, no, it's, it certainly does. But look, I just worked on that Chelsea soccer deal and I represented a firm called Clear Lake Capital, which is a private equity firm. Two really, really wonderful owners, uh, Jose Feliciano, Bedad Begali, who set up the firm. I helped them at the time, 2006. They've got $72 billion under management and they're good people. And uh, they did it with as part of a consortium with a governor of Todd Bowley. Never have invested in soccer before, investing in the brand, uh, see the potential to grow it. Rugby has to be open to a new and different type. I'm not going to comment on the sovereign wealth. That's a different type of animal or owner. I know some Japanese clubs are owned by companies. Yeah, it's probably a, uh, bad, a bad way to put it because you're not a Qatar or Saudi owner. Neither is Dominic. So correct. probably a bad way to put it. But you see that in football, my point being. Yeah. Yeah, look, you know, I think all options have to be considered. I mean, in the NFL, they... You know, they really put the owners through the ringer. You can bring other money to the table, but you have to have one controlling individual deals with a club and who's the type of person the fans and the league are comfortable with. But you can bring other money along with them. And then success for you and your team? Not just winning, winning on a consistent basis. You know, creating a culture, you know, having people in Durban walk taller because they've got a great team now. You know, being here for the long term, seeing some of these kids grow and then have careers around rugby and around the franchise. It's, I'd like it for it to be a good investment. And I've asked people to join me in this. And, you know, I want them to see it as, 
as a good investment, but I also want to get more out of it. And are you going to be making decisions for the team? So, I mean, how do you review the start, the first year? Seeing two South African teams in the final, were you annoyed? did it annoy you or not? I, I didn't like it. Mm. I, I, I'll, I'll be totally honest. I, I didn't like it. I think we have the best business. Good CEO. We have good coaching set up. Look, a lot of the things that we were doing are only happening next season. We really only bought... You know, Sia and Bongi, notwithstanding what was portrayed in the South African press, we only brought Sia and Bongi, you know, to the, to the club. We have a lot of young players in, in key positions. Some of our acquisitions, Eben, Rohan, Jans van Rensburg, Vincent Tijuka, um, are only from next season. Neil Powell only joins, you know, in September. So some of the things that we announced are only happening next season. So, you know, we spent COVID this first season effectively building our business. We got close, obviously don't like not winning. And you always have to feel that. But the hope is we're putting, you know, the, the necessary pieces in place to win and to create a consistent culture that allows us to win and brings up players through the system. An essay in the Six Nations. I know what you're going to you, you definitely want that. To, surely. Yeah, of course, that to I, of course I want it to happen. Will it? I'm not close enough to to know. And maybe when the South African teams get more involved in the European game and people see that, perhaps the Six Nations will, will follow. But I'm more focused on the club game. I think we can be doing a lot more at the club level in the way that, you know, soccer does, right? The clubs and the international teams are basically consistent ex exposure and in terms of quality of play and everything else. Well, from what I hear, if you've got a seat at the table of the EPCR, then that's a good table to be at. Yeah. Apparently, in terms of decision-making, I've not got to the point of understanding the ecosystem of rugby. World rugby's taken a bit of shit, but apparently, I think they've, you know, they just own the sofas. I don't think, I don't think, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else that they can do. Obviously, Sanzar, yeah. who have a big say, EPCR, Six yeah. Nations. I think we need to... We need to restructure. If there's one strategic priority that we have, we will not get it right until we have a better relationship with the South African Rugby Union, a relationship of partnership and transparency. We effectively need to be a shareholder, and we're not, we're not right now. You know, what the clubs receive is, is a discretionary distribution. We should be a shareholder, effectively an indirect shareholder of the URC. If we do that, everyone's going to be aligned. So, so we aligned to increase the coffers of SARU and not just our own. So there also needs to be, at the, in, in the various countries, some restructuring, and everyone needs to be focused on it. Otherwise, we will not get it right at the club level. But MLR, there's an appetite for it because it's the land of the free and the home of the brave and American sports. I've watched the MLR. It was a couple of years ago, so I wouldn't be too harsh, and it weren't great, the standard. But for me, personally, superficially, I keep using that word, I think in order for rugby to grow, it needs to yeah. grow in America. People spoke about Japan, love Japan, got mates who've played out there, but we're talking a completely different culture, completely different language. The way of doing things is alien to anything we've seen in Europe, and you've agreed that Europe yeah. is the... The growth is the sustainable, is the big rugby market. How important do you think for the value of the game to go through the roof does the MLR become? I think it's hugely important in the build-up to the, the men's uh, World Cup here. Look, I think you watched it, you said, two or three years ago. So watch it again today. I recently went to um, a Rugby United game with the CEO of the Sharks who came through here. So he could come and see some of the American sports. And we went to see a Rugby United game. 
We know those people a little. We know the old glory people a, a little. That's where the beast played when mm. he was here. Washington, yeah. The Washington team. The Scottish Rugby Union, I think, have an interest in the Washington team. Uh, New Zealanders are involved in, in Rugby United. I was surprised the standard is a lot better. And there are a lot of foreign players now playing it. they still got to work out a lot of kinks. The stadium they were playing in was, was not great. Fans are still, you know, something like 5,000 fans that game we, we went to. But I think they've got a good base to start on. There's a lot of interest. I had a call with a guy who, you know, who was interested in the Austin team. And he was talking about setting up 10 franchises, including one in Mexico City. You know, they've got a good group of people, uh, business people around them. I think the model is good by starting small and trying to grow it. And they seem to be in the right places. So, look, it's early days. I'm not close enough to it. I'm focused on the Sharks and Europe, our collaboration with Saracens. But my dream, if I have a vision, it's that we then jointly try and do something here because you just, you know, this this market is massively important. A lot of the young rugby players are very, very interested in it. You can create opportunities at the beginning of their careers, end of their careers. And so my instinct is we have to do something here. And, you know, bringing some of the American sports people you know, like Rock Nation to the table, maybe what we need to move the needle. The old saying, cheesy saying, dream big. And Marco, you're dreaming big, but you're actually living it as well. And it's been refreshing speaking to you. And I feel energized after that because I think for the growth of the game, people listening to you, investing in the game and potentially being close to the top table in Europe as the South African teams potentially make that transition to the top is only going to benefit the game of rugby. So I really appreciate that in your home city of New York. Love Thank you. It.